You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 145, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format through expert analysis. And I'm delighted to have on Dr. Keith Smith again for a second appearance. He first appeared in episode 12. And we're going to talk about the Free Market Medical Association and his surgery center of Oklahoma, which is fairly well known at this point, which has fully transparent pricing, which he launched back in 2009, but has not accepted any government payers since its inception back in 1997. And it has not only survived, but it is now thriving. And he has started a movement to try and get more market pricing in not only surgery, but all sorts of financial interactions within medicine. Certainly something we talk about in this show quite a bit. But I think you'll find it a great discussion. We're going to even talk a little about a little bit of crypto. And if you happen to be someone who's thinking about converting your surgery center or thinking about possibly adding some transparent pricing or looking for market share, there might be a few ideas here that will be useful for you during the show. As a reminder, you can go to theparadox.com slash 145. There you can get show notes for the links we mentioned in the show and also ways of getting hold of Dr. Smith and also useful sites and also our sponsor. Speaking of which, our sponsor for today, it's Deputy. In healthcare, there are smart pieces of technology that businesses can't live without. Deputy has become one of those essential platforms for more than 250,000 workplaces. It's helping medical practices schedule their staff more efficiently to meet peaks in patient demand. And it makes it easy to adjust schedules when the unexpected happens, like staff calling out sick. You can use Deputy on any device on the go. Within a few minutes of picking it up, you'll see why it has hundreds of glowing reviews from managers and staff alike. To find out more and try Deputy for free, go to drpodcastnetwork.com deputy. Well, and before we begin, don't forget you can always go to your podcast player of choice, Select the five stars, give us a written review, and don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and family and colleagues. Well, without further ado, Dr. Keith Smith from the Surgery Center of Oklahoma in Surgery Without Insurance. Enjoy. Well, hi, I'm here with my friend Keith Smith. Uh, Dr. Smith's the owner and director of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma in Oklahoma City. And he's been there since 1997, the Oklahoma Surgery Center. He's also the co-founder of the Free Market Medical Association, and he was on previously episode 12 of The Paradox, way back in the heady days, pre-pandemic of 2018. So, Dr. Smith, thanks so much for coming back to The Paradox. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a delight to talk to you as it was before. And I want to just catch up with you because, well, things have changed a bit since we last spoke. Uh, things are somewhat the same for you in the sense that you're still at the same surgery center. But what, how, how has the landscape changed for you and how has business been for the surgery center of Oklahoma, you know, up to the pandemic and then through the pandemic? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a wild ride um, 
all over the country, uh, governors shut down elective cases. And so uh, for a short period of time in Oklahoma, um, but for a longer period of time in surrounding states, um, Oklahoma has a good governor um, who actually shows moments of greatness. One of his moments of greatness, other than cooking hamburgers out in front of a people sign, was was understanding that that it was a mistake to shut down elective cases. So uh, not long after after he took bad advice uh, and shut it down, which he realized I think was bad advice, he opened it back up. So Oklahoma, uh, we were relatively uh, open compared to surrounding states. For the time we were uh, pretty shut down for elective cases, we continued to do what we refer, what we thought of as urgent cases. So uh, if someone had a breast mass uh, with a bad family history, uh, we did not consider that elective. If somebody had gallstones, we did not consider that elective. Anybody, anybody that's seen someone in the ICU with gallstone pancreatitis knows, knows what that can look like. So we continued to do um, what we referred to in our own category as urgent cases. Um, when they lifted the ban, surrounding states uh, sent us more of their uh, refugees than we had seen ever. Um, and on any given week, um, 75% of the patients that we would see come from out of state. Wow. Um, so, so surrounding states remain relatively locked down compared to Oklahoma. And so our reach outside of the state actually increased. Um, the, the folks north of the border have such a marginal uh, system in Canada that uh, it, can't, it can't withstand any kind of hiccup. And this pandemic is not just any hiccup. Right. So the Canadians are completely overwhelmed. Uh, they're already ridiculous. Waiting lines um, have become even too ridiculous for Canadians, who my friend in Canada tells me are never completely happy unless they're standing in line. So we've seen a resurgence of Canadians uh, come this way. Uh, some of that's lately because, you know, the Canadians would let people leave, but they wouldn't really let them back in without a whole lot of trouble. Right. Uh, and they've lifted, they've lifted uh, many of the obstacles that'll let them get back in. So they're starting to travel to the United States as so many of them do to get their care. So it has been a wild ride. Um, even now uh, we have days like today where I was in the OR from 6.30 this morning until 3.30 this afternoon, just going as hard and fast as I could go, um, along with all of my partners. We're all hands on deck today, an extremely busy day. And then we'll have other days where it's it's kind of slow. And we've, um, we've decided and speculated that that's, you know, that's just because some people still are kind of tentative about getting out and about. Um, but then the next thing we know, you know, we'll have another day like today where we're just completely covered up. And normally our volumes are pretty, pretty spread out during the week, pretty evenly. 
But I, that's the biggest change for us are just these huge kind of roller coaster swings in, in what we're doing. You're kind of getting the viral surges too, right? <laughs> You're getting, they come, they ebbs and flows, right? That's right. That's right. Do you feel like your market share has changed significantly? Like uh, you mentioned, you have more people from out of the country. Do you and neighboring states has that changed the the nature of who's coming to get care in your center now? It has. Uh, my friend uh, Jay Kempton, who runs the third party administrator, the Kempton Group, who whose idea it was to found the Free Market Medical Association, he he speculated that when the dust settled. Um, self-funded employers would run away from self-funding and toward um, the big carriers and that they would they would just bite the bullet and become fully insured that this this pandemic would bankrupt many of their self-funded plans. I speculated that because of the outrageous price gouging of the Death Star hospitals, that more and more employers would wake up uh, and get angry and run toward self-funding. And we disagreed on that. And I think Jay has given me the nod. I think that on my, my guess was correct. Uh, we see more and more self-funded employers um, that Jay and I referred to now as red-pilled. Uh, <laughs> they have seen, they've seen the price gouging hospitals take extreme advantage of the last two years um, and it just out of principle if nothing else deciding not to not to patronize the cartel any more than they have to yeah it's interesting i had ron barshop on last episode from uh, primary care cures and and he has you know uh, he definitely talks to people who are doing drug contracting throughout the country and and his impression is similar to yours that his he feels like there's a a momentum of sorts that is growing in this country that people are moving towards more self-funding and just recognizing the tremendous cost savings that they can, they can see. And I have the most vanilla run of the mill sort of anesthesia group that you can, that exists, right? We just are traditional. We have work at surgery centers, we work at hospitals and we you know do insurance, mostly insurance-based care. And even our group's starting to look at ways of changing the, at least providing healthcare within our corporation, which is fairly large. We have, you know, probably three, 400 people were providing insurance for maybe 500. And even for us, it, it looks like, you know, it's at least worth, with um, entertaining. And so I think there's probably, you're probably right that there are probably much larger corporations that have more people looking at this. They're looking for alternatives. And, and how does your, how does your surgery center fall into that? Because I mean, obviously you're in Oklahoma, so I, you know, we're in Michigan and people are all over the country. So how do you get, do you, people do a lot of people really send people all the way across the country to have surgery at your center, or are they just finding alternative centers other places? Well, it's a little of both, uh, primarily the former. Um, we have contracts with employers in all 50 states, except for Hawaii. Uh, we've had a Hawaiian as an individual come see us, but we have contracts with employers everywhere, and they will pay the travel costs, um, the you know, the incidentals, the lodging, the dining, I mean, everything to get people here <clears throat> because the the spread and the pricing is so great uh, that that's justified. More and more uh, patients seem willing to travel 
um, and embrace this sort of medical tourism movement that is growing. There are vendors out there that are that are offering this concierge curb to curb service for any employer group uh, that wants to go down this road. And the savings are astonishing. But what's happened is just what you would predict. Whenever your pocket gets picked, if you're a surgeon, a hospital or a surgery center, you start to wonder, is this going to get out of control? How do I stop this? And then when you realize you can't stop it, then your next stop is how do I get in on it? So I, I reach out to surgery centers, particularly those that have a component of physician ownership or control, and I, and I give them a chance um, because, you know, this is missional for, for me. It's missional for Jay Kempton. We want these ideas to spread, and, yeah. and I'll give them a chance, and I'll say, listen, you know, John Q. Doe is about to jump on a plane and fly to Oklahoma City and have his cruciate ligament um, reconstructed. So, you know, he would rather stay home, for God's sake. Right, yeah. Do you, you want to step up and attempt to help this guy so he doesn't have to travel? And people hearing me say this may think I'm crazy because this is business that would have come our way. But again, there is so much room out there for anyone who even wants to put their toe in the good guy kiddie pool. That there is so much room out there for physicians to step up and be the good guys. Um, I I hope in my lifetime that we really affect the volume of patients that that are going to the Death Star hospitals and turn them away. Um, but interestingly, we have had a lot of success and surgery center will say, well, yeah, let us sharpen our pencil and then, you know, we'll get with the anesthesia guys or I will contact the anesthesia group and say, hey, guys, you're going to lose this case. But, you know, here's here's a chance. And, you know, this is what I and I'll tell them this is what I charge, you know, to do, you know, the anesthesia for a, an ACL with a block and, you know, get a hold of the surgeon, find out what his fee is, put a bundle together. And then the employer will pay the same clearinghouse that Surgery Center of Oklahoma uses. So the employer will pay as if the case were done at my facility. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of using that clearinghouse is that then I turn around and pay the surgeon anesthesia and facility. And that way, um, a group that has or a group of physicians or facility that has carrier contracts doesn't have to worry that they're in violation of that contract by doing business in this way because the clearinghouse cloaks them. Um, all that could ever be uh, discovered is the bundled price, not the breakdown, because we hold that uh, close to the vest. So anyhow, it, we are seeing facilities step up to try to stem um, the flow of patients away from them, kind of stop the hemorrhage. Uh, and we help them do that. And many times we'll help them do that through the same clearinghouse uh, that we use at Surgery Center of Oklahoma. And so this allows a, a surgery center to be sort of clear. Um, it allows a surgery center to do traditional anesthetics and surgeries where they're using you know, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Aetna, whoever, right. but also having the ability to have 
direct contract with employers in the, in the, the who want to self fund, right? So it's that's, right. that's yeah. right. And then I and then I tell them, listen, if you want to connect with this employer directly and form your own clearinghouse, fire me and do it. <laughs> but, you know, in the meantime, let me let me be your training wheels and help you get a taste of the good life, and then maybe. Maybe it's contagious. And, and that's what we found. I, I work with uh, major hospital systems that are seeing uh, the wisdom of doing this because they don't, they don't like the idea of someone having surgery somewhere else and then coming back to work and around the water cooler telling everyone how wonderful it was. They want to keep their grip on that market share and not lose control of it. Yeah, some people would describe you as being one of the worst businessmen in the in America that you're giving. <laughs> that, that, well, what what's happened though is the goodwill that is created yeah, right. with the self funded buyers out there is uh, just logarithmic, and then they go out and they tell stories, and they tell other employers, and they tell their buddies they play golf with, and you know, and you know these guys. You know, they're obviously not greedy. You know, he's acting this way. They're probably not doing unnecessary surgery if he's shunning surgeries that we would otherwise send that way. And the movement grows and the wagons circle more completely around all these ideas. And we all get busier and we all benefit. So once again, the the amount of available turf out there for the good guys uh, is not likely to be completely occupied in our lifetime. Right. Well, and I, you know, I think it's sort of like people ask me if they should start a podcast or something. I say, yeah, go for it. If you're to start a medical podcast, I love it. I mean, you know, there are 700,000 of these things. It doesn't hurt to have a new voice and maybe this is, you provide something unique. And, you know, again, there are plenty of people who listen to things and I'm not concerned and I'm more than happy to help people out as well. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, for someone who is not ideologue, but someone who certainly wants to move things along, you know, for your business model, you've either decided to franchise or not. And if you've decided not to franchise, then you want your model to be as popular as possible so that people feel comfortable when they're in your town too, right? I mean, that's the other the other aspect of it that, that makes sense for everybody. Yeah, and I've decided not to franchise because that soils uh, the model that I believe works best. Um, if I franchise, that means I have a financial interest in someone else's surgery center where I don't work. And so I'm, I'm an invisible mouth that needs to be fed. And to the extent that I would be involved in a franchise, I would make that very facility that much less competitive with those who choose a more pure model. So that, that's why I've decided to just extend the clearinghouse services to those who want to jump in, uh, but not have an ownership uh, sort of interest or franchise interest in another facility. And of course, the other layer is you have to, you have the entire headache of running a bunch of other clinics or having, worrying if they're profitable and how they're hiring and firing is going, all those sorts of things. It's bad enough having one facility, much less like 10. Yeah. Yeah, we have 117 surgeons at our facility now, and I don't know that I wow. want it. I don't know that I want to deal with more than 117 surgeons. I mean, they're all they're all good people, um, but that's not just something that happens. There are people who come in who I have to invite to leave after we've tried them out. Yep. 
Um, there are people that we do not allow to come who really want to come. And, you know, those are not fun conversations, but they're necessary conversations to make sure um, that we don't have any mercenaries on our staff. Right. But I, I you know, I, I've got my hands full doing that at our place. I don't know that I want to do that anywhere else. Completely. And I think anyone who goes into management and re- recognizes it, those are the, that's the part that's not any fun. And and yet that's yeah. the one that occupies more a majority of your time. It's not the strategy and the building the business. It's the, the personnel issues. And um, having 117 surgeons, about 117 surgeons, too many to deal with. And in my, you know, speaking <laughs> as an anesthesiologist, so... Uh, so that obviously naturally just moves us into the Free Market Medical Association. And actually, before I say that, for people who didn't listen to the early episode and aren't familiar with you, the unique thing about Surgical Center of Oklahoma, you're founded in 1997, so way before anyone had the ideas of doing anything like this, but that you're fully transparent. And I guess just give a quick little backdrop of you know what you are and what makes you unique and why you decided to do something which even now it seems sort of radical, but at the time it must people must have thought you were crazy. Yeah, they thought I, I was crazy, and and I'm glad I don't have such a big tinfoil hat on anymore. You know, we've been copied, and uh, my God, now, if you're a hospital and you don't provide pricing, you're facing fines. I mean, it's right. it's been a, it's done a 180. But yeah, I, I started a traditional practice, um, private practice, anesthesia, doing mostly hearts and pediatrics in 1990. Um, and in 97 walked away from that. It was a very, very busy, very lucrative practice. Um, but I walked away from it and Steve Lantier and other anesthesiologists uh, walked away from his and we joined arm in arm and we decided that, that it could be better. It could be more efficient, um, that, that we would work in a way that, Uh, benefited patients that um, gave surgeons the efficiency and high quality and predictable staffing that they needed. Um, We thought that, (coughs) excuse me, that we could do it cheaper. Uh, We thought that we could not just financially, but also uh, be the medical advocates for patients. And and it, it just made sense to us that physicians ought to own and control and be accountable for the institutional aspect of the patient's care, not just for uh, our professional uh, component. So in 97, we walked away. We had learned early on uh, that uh, the federal government was an unreliable and dishonest uh, entity um, funded with PELF and that we needed to walk away and never ever do business with government ever. So part of our mission was to not ever accept federal money. I had stopped taking federal money in 1992, uh, even while I was doing hearts and just provided anesthesia free to Medicare beneficiaries. Once in a while, one of them would track me down and, you know, write me a check or do something. (laughs) But I I stopped filing claims with Medicare in 1992. Uh, and never filed one after that. Um, so we decided we were not going to deal with federal government. Medicare patients came in. We would take care of them gratis. Um, and we also decided that we would tell patients what they were going to pay us. Um, you can't have a functioning market without prices. Right. 
And as uncomfortable as that might have made some people early on, we knew the only answer for reasonably priced high quality care was to have a functioning market. And we were real free market guys. And so we we told people over the phone uh, before they came to the surgery center what they were going to owe us. Uh, and if they had insurance, uh, we, we would file it in the early days. But we had a lot of uninsured patients to whom we quoted an entire bundled fee from the first week. And you have to also remember back then, um, our prices were less than a lot of people's in-network deductible. Right. And we, we were out of network with everyone. The carriers and the hospitals worked together to make sure we were never in network. But it was so frustrating for them because our entire fee was left in their in-network <laughs> deductible. So we still, we still saw these patients out of network and they loved us. Um, there were some things that happened later where the insurance commissioner looked the other way as the carrier stacked deductibles. So patients had no out-of-network benefit until they met their in-network deductible. Uh, And that's actually forbidden um, in many other types of insurance. But um, but anyhow, they they did that here. And that that almost closed us. Um, that, That happened in what year? That happened in about 2004. <clears throat> so by then we had moved into the facility we're in now and still filing out of network claims, but doing a lot of quoting over the phone to uninsured high deductible patients. But when they stacked deductibles, it almost killed us. Um, and so in 2009, really as a last act of defiance, uh, I posted the prices online um, hoping that we would become more visible to the patients that had sticker shock or the self-funded employers. Right. We also wanted to start a price war. I wanted these so-called not-for-profit faith-based hospitals that were charging $30,000 for an angle hernia to get their comeuppance. I wanted people to start asking questions. Why in the world was this hernia 30000 and everything was wrong with it? And this hernia was three thousand, and everything was right with it. <laughs> yeah, and we were we wanted to start a price war and really have people ask those questions. We also knew, as free marketeers, that there ought to be a line around the block to get into our place. We were cheaper, we were better, our reputation was unsurpassed, uh, and our waiting room was empty, and we didn't understand the scams that were at work. I still don't claim to understand all of them, but we have a much better understanding of what's wrong and how the money flows because we put our prices online. And that really was our third goal. And it's been, it's been very interesting and educating. And uh, I feel vindicated uh, in a really profound way uh, because we've been copied and, And, and I've even got, you know, old hospital administrators that tried to put us out of business in the old days. They're now on board. They are. <laughs> I am paying the very hospitals that tried to kill us. I am paying them through my clearinghouse because they, they have decided that this is inevitable. I mean, they know this market movement's inevitable. So I'm, I'm actually working with my old enemies, really. I mean, 
uh, and you know, whatever, let's you know, keep moving. Hey, when you've evangelized and people are on board, <clears throat> you don't kick them out of your church. You welcome them in, right? Like the prodigal son, right? You, you're more than you're thrilled to have them part of your movement. Um, and so that kind of moves to the Free Market Medical Association. I, I started the show in 2018. I've said this many times on the show that I was very discouraged with medicine. I was concerned about where it was going, the problems with it. And if you ask me what the future of it was, I'd say it's doomed in many ways, right? Like it's going to be nationalized. It's going to be worse for physicians. And, and there's still certainly trends that look that way. But I have been so encouraged by meeting so many disruptive people, innovative people within the market space who, despite all the regulatory hurdles and all the, the way the system works, still find ways to deliver superior care for low prices and um, really, you know, make patients and physicians very happy that they're part of the system. I mean, obviously you're one piece of this, but, you know, there are lots of other people. So what is the FMMA? Because I imagine that is sort of a collection of these sorts of people and where people bounce ideas off this. What is your goal with this organization and how have you grown and how has it changed over the last couple of years? Yeah, the Free Market Medical Association was uh, Jake Hempton's brainchild. I mean, we started working together and his third-party administrator competitors, and for your listeners, a third-party administrator is one who administers a self-funded health plan. So self-funded employers pay for their employees' health needs out of operating revenue, but they throw the checkbook to someone like Jay Kempton and tell him, you know, manage and pay these bills. So that's why they're called a third-party administrator. It's third-party administrator of a self-funded health plan. So Jay's competitors, the other third-party administrators, wanted to know how in the world do you work with a lunatic surgery center like <laughs> these guys? And so Jay would have these long conversations with them about, you know, this is how I'm doing it. On my end, uh, my competitors were seeing patients uh, directed away from them to me, and they didn't like that. And they wanted to know, you know, how do we keep this from happening? And I said, well, you just need to create a price list. And so they did, a lot of them. So I was helping my competitors figure out how do I copy you? And Jay was helping his competitors <laughs> figure out how do they copy him? And, you know, we that was part of Jay's and my in our dance of kind of getting to know each other. And we both realized that we were both very missional. Um, this was not revenue driven. Right. We were both very missional. So Jay said, let's form an association and see if anyone shows up. And at the end of our first meeting, if we can get anyone to come, if we have to write a huge check, then we'll chalk it up to a bad idea. <laughs> but if we can get people to pay us enough to support the meeting, then, you know, maybe we have it another year. Well, that organization um, has brought third-party administrators, physicians, facility directors, stop-loss carriers, ERISA lawyers, direct primary care doctors, and their organizations, think tanks, you name it. I mean, the room is full of everyone in the industry that is associated with self-funded plans but also those who are dedicated to developing platforms for individuals uh, to access high quality, reasonably priced care. New organization has grown um, 
two years ago, our keynote speaker was Ron Paul. And in Plano, a couple of months ago, our keynote speaker was Steve Forbes. So it's just become um, a real movement. Uh, and this Free Market Medical Association is, a, is an association that any physician who is remotely interested in these ideas should join. Uh, the, the meetings are uh, very inspiring. Uh, a physician who's burnt out, who feels like the world's crashing in around them, will leave this meeting inspired, energized, uh, ready to ready to kind of look at things differently and try some things uh, that are different. Um, it's a it's a wonderful organization. What's your I guess you know looking at the healthcare landscape right now, <clears throat> assuming the pandemic, people decide that it's over at some point. <laughs> which you know people are various sort of stages of letting go. Where do you see the the U.S. healthcare system in, let's say, five to ten years? I mean, do you see your movement as one that is? I mean, it feels like it has a foothold and that it's starting to grow. It's not an exponential. It's not logarithmic, but it's certainly you know linear growth. Do you see that as becoming a bigger component, or and then where do you see the the barriers? I mean, obviously the big players are out there and they're going to not want to lose their market share. They'll lose their, you know, uh, lose their revenue streams, and they're going to fight this with you know legislation and regulation and such. Where do you see things in the next couple of years? I'm actually very optimistic, um, and I have been for quite some time. Asked that question two or three years ago, I would have answered it the same way. Um, as a student of the market, as a student of economics, um, Austrian economics in particular, um, I I firmly believe that the market and its power and beauty is, is a much greater force than anything that the tyrants and goons can come up with in DC. So if once you begin to understand the power of mutually beneficial exchange and how both parties are enriched through that exchange, it becomes incredibly difficult to break individuals up or entities up that are doing business together in a way that both parties benefit. It is, it's extremely powerful. Uh, and, I, and I think that the only issue I would take with your question is I think the growth is not linear. Okay. I think the growth is actually, it actually is logarithmic. Uh, when I look at the size of Jay Kempton's organization when he and I met and the size of the Kempton group now, uh, and when I look at the size of captive organizations that we deal with, or even organizations that um, encompass municipalities that we deal with, those organizations have grown and they've grown away from the traditional system. This is a very worrisome time uh, for the Blue United Signet Aetna crowd. This is a very worrisome time, I think, for the big hospital systems. They know that this market movement is inevitable. And witness to that, I'm doing business with big hospital systems with my clearinghouse. 
So, you know, I tell people if a Canadian travels to Oklahoma City to have surgery, you don't really need to know anything else about the Canadian healthcare system. <laughs> that I am buying services from major hospital systems in my area with my clearinghouse is all you need to know about their view of the inevitability of the market taking over. Yeah. So once people once people are exposed to cheaper and better, it's really hard to get that horse back in the barn. So I, I remain optimistic. I'm not a fool. I'm not Rebecca from Sunnybrook Farm. I'm not naive. And I do know that the bad guys, the black hats, as Jay Kempton calls them, they're out there, they're active, they're always looking for ways to preserve the status quo. Um, and as much as we like to slap them around in the hospitals and big pharma, it's really important everyone remember who the true evil bad actor is. And that's Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam grants all these favors to these cronies. And Uncle Sam always drives the getaway car in this heist. <laughs> so we all have to remember it's the state. Uh, it's the state that is the truly evil actor that auctions off all the favors that have created this system that's not broken. The system works exactly like it was designed to, and that's to line the pockets of all the trash. Right. Well, and I think to your point, you know, I, I look at, you know, Trump passed some executive passed or signed, I guess, executive orders and, uh, on tra hospital transparency and Biden's administration seems to like they're going to uphold those. But, you know, to what we would believe, you know, if with a market, you don't need a, an order saying there has to be transparency because naturally, if it's, if it's a regular market, it would be a requirement for a market to, to operate. Like you mentioned initially, when you started out, you said we have to have prices, we have to have a an idea of where the scarcity is of the products, whether it's time for physicians or skills or whatever. And uh, and so these executives are kind of silly in some ways. They're just forcing market forces into what should normally be there anyway. And if as soon as people are in charge of their money moving it around, whether it's an employer or the actual patient, I mean, clearly they're going to demand that sort of thing. And you can not want to provide it, but if you don't, then you just won't get any business. And so it's sort of a natural occurrence in the market. Yeah, the, the way I look at the... Trump executive order and mandate is as follows. Mandates, you know, you know, government is that entity whose ideas are so wonderful, they have to be mandatory. <laughs> so mandates are really bad um, for a couple of reasons. One is they provide unscrupulous legislators, which is basically all of them, an opportunity to sell exemptions. And I would argue that that has been going on for some time because the hospitals just shrugged and said, we'll just pay the fines. Well, if you're big enough to pay the fine, you've basically bought an exemption. Right. The other awful thing about the mandate is it created an opportunity for the cartel players to redefine the word transparency. And so now the definition of price transparency in this industry is what is the patient's out of pocket? That is not price transparency. Right. Yeah, right. But the industry has had great success in redefining that phrase. The good thing about the mandate is that it's completely altered 
the narrative. Yes. Now, now these these price gougers have the scrutiny that they've so long deserved and the light is shining on them, not on me, you weirdo posting prices. Now the light is on those who really need that scrutiny. So I like the narrative change, but I am not in favor of, of mandates uh, for the other two reasons. Biden increasing the penalties is actually a disaster because that means there are fewer and fewer hospitals who can comply. So the predictable result is a further consolidation of the industry. And that is not a good thing. The more consolidation you have, the less competition you have. So I, I don't think the people in Washington or this administration are stupid. I think they're evil. And I think they know exactly what they're doing. And by increasing the fines, keep, keep in mind, big hospital systems consulted with this administration on what to do about this executive order. Right. They want these fines to go way up so there are fewer of them around. It's the same with the Unaffordable Care Act with the minimum loss ratio. There were only so many insurance carriers who could comply with that. And that's why we now just have four. Right. Uh, if, you, if you add Humana, five. Um, so this consolidation, uh, whenever you see that, you know that the evil black hand of government was involved. Uh, and I think, I think Biden increasing uh, the fines associated with the executive order that Trump put out is is meant to consolidate the industry sure well and it and certainly whenever you have a process in which you have legislation the people who have the are at the table are the ones who are going to be writing the rules and they're not going to write it to be detrimental to their position so you right. absolutely expect them to put it so that right. it works out in their favor the regulatory capture i think is the term for that all right, right. so a kind of a random question uh you know i had some someone on a couple episodes ago we were talking about cryptocurrency and the role that's playing now what is your position at your surgery center? I mean, is that something you're looking into? Is that something you already accept? Or what's, what are you guys doing about that? Yeah, we've accepted uh, Bitcoin on one occasion and Litecoin on a second occasion and Dash on a third occasion from patients for payment. Um, they didn't pay for their procedures in full with crypto um, but they paid partially for their procedures with crypto. One of the one of the patients um, paid the balance with silver coins. Oh. <laughs> uh, the other patient paid the balance with um, uh, gold coins back when gold wasn't as expensive as it is now. So um, I'm fascinated by crypto. Uh, I dabble in it myself. Um, I don't pretend to understand it at a truly deep level. But, you know, the position of the seller is, is many times to accommodate the preferences of the buyer. Sure. Otherwise, you endanger their coming to you to buy from you in the first place. So um, we are positioned to accept crypto. We have accepted crypto. I look forward to accepting more. Uh, the first time we accepted Bitcoin, um, I, by the time I got around to exchanging it, 
in order to pay all the parties involved in the care episode, it had gone up radically. And I thought I'll just leave it alone. And I forgot about it for about three years. And then it just went insanely up. (laughs) So that was a good move. Um, I opened up my Coinbase account. I'd even, I'd forgotten about uh, associated with the surgery center and just shook my head. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of crypto. I think uh, anyone that dabbles in crypto or in uh, precious metals is making a bet against government and its uh, counterfeit currency. Um, and I think that that is a good bet. Uh, government continues to debase the dollar with all of the printing. So I think a bet on crypto or for precious metals is a bet against the dollar. And I think I think over time, that's a very good bet. Uh, I'm always fascinated when crypto goes way up and gold falls. That is a very strange, uh, that's a very strange thing to me, but something I watch and I I think is very interesting. Yeah, certainly I don't understand a lot of the things. I imagine a lot of it has to do with the maturity of the market and how how, uh, liquid is or how, you know, what sort of investors are in it versus institutional versus retail stuff. Again, I don't understand, but you know, I have people ask me all the time, like, I don't understand it. I sort of understand, but you know, I don't really know how a credit card works to be honest. I mean, I kind of vaguely know, but I don't really need to know. I don't know how need to know how my car works, except that when I turn the key and I put gas in it, it runs. So, you know, <laughs> some things that you don't really need to know. Uh, it's finally, when it comes to a surgery center, let's say a surgery center is out there. Someone's listening right now. And they're like, you know, this seems intriguing. We're not part of, we're an independent center. Uh, how do we, how do you, can you just dabble in this? Can you, how do you, what's the first step, you know, because you mentioned that there's a clearinghouse. Is that something that just reaches out to you or finds some third party administrator and said, Hey, we're interested in maybe doing this and see if we can get some, um, you know, get some business that's in town. Yeah. I, I would encourage anyone that's interested in dabbling in this to join the free market medical association, reach out to me. And my email is all over the website. It is. <laughs> Look at um, look at a website atlasbillingcompany.com, and know that if you want to post a price or ten or twenty or all of your pricing in complete anonymity, that you can do so there, oh. and I will post the prices there for you. If you're a member of the Free Market Medical Association, the same is true on the Shop Health. Uh, tab on the website. So if someone's interested and they want to say, you know, let's just dabble in this and, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty comfortable putting a price on an adenoidectomy. We're pretty comfortable putting a price on a brostrum ankle reconstruction. Then email it to me. I will post it for you. And then if you're not comfortable with the mechanics after that, then you can have the patients directed to our clearinghouse. They can pay the clearinghouse and then I'll turn around and pay everyone involved in the care episode. That's how that clearinghouse works. Um, And then, you know, 10 or 20 episodes like that. uh, And then someone, someone's no longer the same. They've been transformed once they have dabbled and played in this (laughs) And then they start thinking, whoa, we can do this ourselves. And that's when I encourage them to fire me. But I love getting people started. 
Uh, we have people who who never want to fire us, and they they want to they want the clearinghouse on board to help them going forward. But that that's what I would do. It's really that easy. Well, that sounds great. Well, Doctor Smith, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Where would you people find a you know find out your writings and what you're up to to keep track of you, like in social media? Well, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma has a uh, Facebook page. Uh, the Twitter um, page for Surgery Center OK is more active than Facebook these days. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my email's all over the website. The website is surgerycenterok.com. There's a link to my blog. I don't know. I've got over 100 videos that I've put on that blog. There's also a media tab that is some of the some of the interviews that I've done on national television. Um, the Free Market Medical Association, fmma.org, um, is a great resource uh, for people that want to that want to know more. And I look forward to having as many physicians involved in this movement as possible. And, you know, the anesthesiologists are key. They should. They should run every ASC in this country. And if anesthesia controls and runs the surgery center, uh, I believe that it becomes much more lean uh, and much more difficult for the Death Star hospitals to compete with. So our, our anesthesia colleagues have a fundamental role in uh, particularly changing the surgical landscape uh, for patients. Amen. I totally agree with that. Thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, if you want to get those links, they'll be at theparadox.com slash 145. Dr. Smith, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dr. Smith for the great show. Before we end, another quick reminder. If you want to boost efficiency across your practice and make staff scheduling easier, try the Deputy app. You can try this smart technology for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash theparadox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. 